Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody. The Juice on the Cues podcast. Matt D'Agostino, Wes Chang with you. Christmas is in the rearview mirror. New Year's is upon us. And uh, the goose, he got a little fat this week. Let's be honest, Wes. We we ate a little bit more than we should have, but it's okay. We're uh, we're back to those New Year's resolutions. I'll be back down in no time. Uh, but Syracuse resumed its uh, conference schedule, its regular schedule, uh, on Saturday against Pitt in the Dome, and they come out with an 81-73 victory. So the Syracuse Orange basketball team now 10-3 and on the season, West. And um, stop me if you've heard this before. The bench was rather good. The bench was, you know, the bench has been good all year. And, you know, again, we're going to sound like broken records with Malik Brown and Quadir Copeland. But, Matt, I wanted to take a step back from and look at the overall picture because I think looking at the larger picture of the season, the win over Pitt is going to help them a lot, I think, in March because Pitt is 46 in the Ken Palm rankings and really projecting as one of those teams that Syracuse is going to have to compete against and is going to be neck and neck at the end of the season and kind of that middle of the pack ACC. So when you grab a win like this against one of your peer schools and you get one game closer to 20 wins, which I think is going to be the benchmark of what Syracuse needs to get into that conversation of the NCAA tournament. This was actually a really big win, even though it was only the second ACC game of the season. And I think, you know, it's the way they want it to, uh, you know, being down double digits early in the second half. And I think one of the main complaints in recent years is that Syracuse didn't really make any adjustments coming out in the second half, but Red Archery does make those halftime adjustments. You know, you notice that they gave a lot more rebounding effort and they really put in defensive efforts to slow down guys like uh, Blake Pinson and Ishmael Leggett. You know, neither of them played particularly well in the second half. And I think the really the turning point in the game, Matt, was when Malik Brown had that and one. You know, he missed the layup. It was a great entry feed. He blows the bunny. He grabs a rebound. He keeps working toward it. And he gets fouled and hits a, hits a free throw. And then I think Syracuse really starts to roll from there. So that was kind of a microcosm for the game. I thought they were they were down. Um, kind of like how Malik missed that layup and then he gathers himself and rebounds and sticks it in and he gets a foul. And I think that's really, you know, kind of how Syracuse, you were really stuck with it and got themselves back in that game. It's good to see them get a victory when Judah Mintz wasn't necessarily on his game, 12 points for him. Uh, and you know, he and JJ Starling playing over 30 minutes a piece as usual, but usually it's, they go as Judah Mintz goes and he wasn't necessarily giving his uh his a game to pit yesterday uh and they they still find a way to get it done whether it's guys off the bench whether it's other guys uh in the starting lineup and you know Quadir Copeland Autry was asked after the game you know are you running out of things to say about this kid just with the overall stat lines that he's got you know 22 points he makes his first three of the season he makes 13 of 15 at the line and then also has nine rebounds, four assists, and three steals. So certainly um, a Josh Pace-like effort, dare I say it, Wesley. 
Uh, but wow, that is a huge compliment. I know, but those are the kinds of things that Josh Pace did. He wasn't necessarily, you know, a standout scorer. You know, he wasn't necessarily the guy who's going to lead the team in assists. He just did a little bit of everything, and he did it so well and so consistently. And I think that's what we're starting to see here from Copeland the last couple of games. But Autry said, like, no, I'll never run out of good things to say about this guy. Like, he's he's one of those guys you want on your team, and it's because of the things that we're seeing here on a day-in and day-out basis now. So you mentioned how good Quetier Copeland was, and he wasn't the only one. I thought Benny Williams, who I know you're going to talk about, played tremendously off the bench. They got, a, you know, the interesting stat was the last 20 points of the game were scored by Syracuse bench guys, which is incredibly impressive considering some of the offensive firepower they have in that starting lineup. So, Matt, with that in mind, is there a question you'd like to ask Red Autry about what he'd like to do in terms of lineup adjustments, whether it's keeping it status quo, whether it's moving someone like a Quetier Copeland or a Benny Williams back into the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if there needs to be a lineup change. It's it's working pretty well uh, the way things are. I guess my question is putting on a coach's hat is – how do you evaluate these kinds of things when your bench guys are playing so well and not even that the starters are not playing well, but the bench guys are playing so well. How do you and your coaching staff kind of evaluate those things when you're trying to determine starting lineups, rotations in general? Because the bench scores 52 points on Saturday against Pitt. Pitt's bench scored just 17. Syracuse's starters scored just 29. So, like not even was the bench good, but it was dominant. Um, you know, given the three guys, Malik Brown, uh, Benny Williams, Quidier Copeland, those guys playing, you know, uh, almost 80 minutes between the three of them. And so they're clearly getting playing time. And it's kind of how do you know when the right time to use him is? You know, when do you when do you sub this guy in and take this guy out? The the feel out process for all of that, I think, is really what's shined for Adrian point just because it seems like whatever button he's pushing is working yeah and you know our colleague Jim Stickschulte wrote about this yesterday after the game but it's the concept of found money you know kind of when you have Taylor and Bell in that lineup because you know they're streaky guys with their offense and if they're shooting well early that's a really good indicator that they're going to have productive days and if they're not you know you get a situation where you play Chris Bell 12-15 minutes and that's that's kind of his night uh, and but if you have if not and they're not playing well, then you have guys on the bench that you know what you're going to get from them. You know the effort. You know the the, the stat line that you're really going to get from them. Again, Quadir Copeland and Malik Brown are some two of the most consistent guys on the team. So to me, I don't think the starting ni- lineup is definitely the best lineup that they have. On the other hand, it is the quickest way for Autry to kind of determine how he's going to allot his time for the night, which is why I think they they do stick with that lineup. Because if you get anything out of Taylor and Bell early, you just ride them out and you let them shoot away. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're always going to say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And a lot of times we're seeing Copeland and and Brown and Williams in there at these these times in the game when it's when it's when it's winning time. Um it's just been it's been fun to watch in terms of the mix and match. And again, these guys are rising to the occasion, which is not easy to come off of the bench um, and produce in the way that they are. It's just been it's been a very positive thing to see that a Syracuse bench is not only productive, but deep um, as well. And I think we're starting to see more of 
Benny Williams maturing on the court. Again, I don't know what happened off the court earlier this season that caused him to miss some time. So I, I, I can't speak to that. But on the court, I think the first couple of years we've seen him, Wes, he's kind of been like an unbridled Mustang. Like you can see every ounce of athleticism that the kid has in his game. And harnessing that to be able to produce actual basketball results was not always easy for him to do. But we're seeing it in his pull-up game. We're seeing it when he decides to display his athleticism. Um, we're seeing it in more controlled ways that are producing results. His first six games of the year, he scored 23 points and was scoreless in two of them. And in his last three, he's got 29 points in 54 minutes. So he's he's scoring much more efficiently. He's also getting steals and blocks, five of them in his last three games. So like we're starting to see why he was that four-star guy, top 50 ESPN recruit. Um and it's starting to pay dividends for him now. I, I like kind of the on-court maturity that he's been showing. I always say this. I like Benny Williams, the power forward. I do not like Benny Williams, the shooting guard. And he's been Benny Williams, the power forward over the last three games because all of his baskets, if you noticed yesterday, were all around the hoop. If you actually took away his dunks, he was only two of six shooting. But then when he was around the basket and actually just dunking the ball and being a power forward, he was by far his most effective. And when he's effective on offense... I think that really helps him on defense and he gets on the floor. And I think that's another reason why I like him coming off the bench is because he knows he has to bring that energy. He knows he has to basically make an impact by, by getting on the floor and making a play. And that's how he's going to stay in the game. So I think actually think it's nice that he's actually coming off the bench right now. Yeah. And that, that energy level, go ahead, Wes, that energy level has been insane off the bench. It's an instant spark for this team. And Matt, I, I want to move on to the, the bellwether matchup that you and I have been talking about for a little while, which is Syracuse heading down January 2nd to play Duke at Duke Cameron Indoor. And this is going to be, I think, a really good barometer for how Syracuse is. You know, we saw them through the early part of the season. You know, they went to the Maui Invitational. They struggled there against some two really good ranked teams. But now they're they're, you know, much further along in the season. I think they've developed a lot more. And this is going to be a good chance to see how far they develop. What are you looking to see in this specific game, Matt? Well, there are some interesting matchups that I don't think fare in Syracuse's favor, specifically Kyle Filipowski versus Raheem McLeod. Like uh, McLeod is not a guy who's going to be able to keep up with Filipowski, I don't think. Um so it may be tough to see him get some of those minutes. And Filipowski will play outside as well. Something that that Autry uh, after Saturday's game was like, yeah, like it's kind of tough to have McLeod kind of running around on the perimeter and chasing big guys around, which is something that Pitt was able to do effectively with some outside shooting. Um, so that will be a very telling matchup there. And I think we'll see a lot of Malik Brown instead of, uh, instead of McLeod, but, you know, I also think that the veteran leadership of Syracuse's backcourt will help them in this matchup. It's it's the kind of thing that's been missing from Syracuse and Duke has been an area where, where they could take advantage of things. And I think this may be one of those spots. Um, it has not been pretty the last couple of years when Syracuse and Duke have matched up. It's eight straight losses against the Blue Devils, whether it's been Coach K or John Shire now. Uh, and those losses, seven of them have been by double digits. And the eight losses are by an average of 15 points. So this series has not been close after it started off amazingly uh, during that the beginning of the ACC matchups against the two teams. 
Yeah. Again, anytime you go down to Cameron Indoor, it's going to be a hard game to win for any team, given that home court advantage. But I I will say this, this isn't the absolute dominant Duke team that we're used to seeing over the past few years. You know, you kind of saw what happened when Duke started ACC play in your neck of the woods, Matt, in Atlanta, when they were upset by Georgia Tech. And at that point, they actually dropped to five and three. So I, I know they had that really impressive win over number 10 Baylor to rebound from that Yellow Jacket loss. But I do at least give Syracuse a puncher's chance here for all the reasons that you just said. I think they anytime you have an experienced backcourt like the one that Syracuse has, and then it, all it takes is really Justin Taylor or Chris Bell to get hot. If you have the combination of Taylor, Starling, and then either Bell or Taylor playing well, I actually think this gives Syracuse at least a 10% to 15% chance of winning. So, you know, we're probably marking this one down as a loss. So really anything positive you can get out of the game here, whether it's you know, again, a good shooting performance from Justin Taylor or quality minutes from uh, Naheem McLeod, you know, that's going to be a win for the team. I think you just kind of have to take the positives that you can from this. And if they can lose by under double digits and stay with them throughout, I think that's a win too, especially for a younger team like this. It's interesting. I I think you're you're being realistic. Um, Is that a good thing or a bad thing that, that we're sitting here saying, if they lose by less than 10, that's a good thing. Like, should, is, is that... Is that the barometer for Syracuse basketball at this point? I think it is. I think they're, you know, a younger team. And again, I think you saw what happened at the beginning of the season when they were losing, you know, they, again, they lost two games in Maui and they got blasted, right? You know, Tennessee and Gonzaga both beat them by well into double digits. And I think if you see that they play a really good team like Duke, who's ranked number 16 right now, and they, again, stay with them throughout and make it a competitive game into the last five minutes. I do think that's a win. And that's okay for a young team like this. Now, if they can do that and then come back again in March and then, you know, get even closer or beat them, I think that would be obviously the best case scenario here. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just being realistic right now. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at this juncture of the season. Well, I do know one thing. Um, if they do lose... They will have not won a game in the entire 2024 calendar year to that point. Uh, If they do win, they will have not lost in the 2024 calendar year. So a lot riding on this one, Wesley. I don't, don't, don't bother to look at the actual date. Let's just, let's just go with the statements. They sound much more profound that way, I believe. (laughs) It's very lawyerly like of you, Matt. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. We're going to have some New Year's resolutions after we come back. This is Wes Chang alongside Matt D'Agostino, and you're watching the Juice on the Cues podcast. Welcome back to the Juice on the Cuse podcast. Matt and Wes with you here, and tis the season. It's uh, it's trendy. It's a bit cliche, but when have we been ever worried about that, Wesley? It's time for New Year's resolutions as it pertains to Syracuse sports. I'll let you kick it off, Wes. Yeah, I think uh, we've been talking about basketball, so I want to switch to football for a moment. Uh, you know, the, the Syracuse has really transformed its roster under Fran Brown. And they're bringing in the, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the number 35 class, if you factor in both the high school and portal players coming in, and we've been talking about this before, Matt, the highest ranked Syracuse recruiting class uh, in the history since rivals started tracking, it was number 44. And that was way back in the, the initial Greg Robinson year when he first came in and he got all these players. So we're talking, you know, we're talking a fair amount of time ago, you know, this is like 15 years ago since Syracuse was even sniffing this kind of range. So, uh, but they, they've gotten a lot of really good position players. I think the New Year's resolution has to be to focus on 
the offensive and defensive line. So plenty of names out there that Syracuse is pursuing. Just got a commitment from Joshua Miller, an offensive lineman from your neck of the woods, Matt, in Georgia. Uh, the former Bulldog is coming over. He's a former three-star recruit, four years of eligibility remaining. Dion Wilson Jr., he's a New Mexico transfer defensive tackle. He's going to officially visit Syracuse this week. That's something that the Juice Online actually broke earlier in the week for breaking news. And it's an outside shot right now, but five-star Texas A&M defensive line commit Dominic McKinney. He's not signing till February, so Syracuse can maybe work itself into that recruitment as well. They did have an in-home visit with him earlier in December. Now, Syracuse is not the favorite here. They are on the outside looking in. But again, this is a five-star elite recruit. He's one of the top 50 players in the entire country, and Syracuse is still being linked with them. So it kind of shows you how long they've come. Uh, but again, the New Year's resolution really has to be to focus in on the trenches, offensive and defensive line, specifically the interior tackles on the defensive line. And then on the offensive line, they need um, a guard and probably uh, a tackle to fill in for some of the guys that are graduating. Um, it's always baffling to hear some of that stuff, but um, I will never, I don't care if he's three star, uh, four star, whatever. If you're plucking guys from the university of Georgia, again, after seeing them dismantle Florida state uh, in the orange bowl, after they dismantled TCU in the championship game last year, like if you're taking guys from a program like that, you're moving in the right direction. That's, that's as plain as I can, I can make it at this point. I'll switch back to basketball and I want to, I guess I'm gushing about Benny Williams now, Wes. It's just, it's past just. Uh, is he coming? Is he coming close to Josh Pace territory? I don't get it. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I don't think that. And your Josh Pace is my Hakeem Warwick. So I think we've got a long ways to go still for that one. But um, I, I think the New Year's resolution is to see more of this guy on the court. I don't know. And I, I don't really care whether it's in the starting lineup or off of the bench, uh, but he's getting. 18 minutes a game the last few games. He's hitting his stride, averaging about 10 points a game in that span. And when he was putting up his best stats was last season as a sophomore, 7.2 points in over 22 minutes a game. He's averaging almost six in 15 minutes a game. And that's after he's kind of catching up earlier in the season to kind of get up to speed with the rest of the team after he was away from them for a little bit. So uh, I, I just think I like where this is going. I think he's starting to put things together. There are guys that are just late bloomers, and I think we're starting to see that. And Coach Autry is putting him in the right situations to shine, and I think we're starting to see some of that. So I, I want to continue to see more of it. And I think Coach Autry is slowly moving in that direction as Benny Williams has been able to ramp up. But I think he is probably the biggest X factor on this Syracuse team because I think his ceiling is maybe so much higher than a Malik Brown and a Quadir Copeland. I think they've got higher floors for sure. But if Benny Williams can live up to some of this potential uh, and all the hoopla when he was coming to Syracuse, like then we're starting to see Syracuse become a tournament team and a productive team and somebody in the upper echelon of the ACC. You know, I, I think this also speaks to the job that Coach Autry has done with Benny Williams, because I think in the last two seasons when Benny Williams has been under Jim Beheim, you know how Jim Beheim's doghouse can be, and you know that sometimes it's impossible to get out of there. And Benny Williams was, you know, suspended at the beginning of the year for violation of team rules. And instead of criticizing him in the media and shouting at him on the bench and getting in his ear and making a show, what he did was he suspended him. 
he had him, you know, work his way back into the lineup. He didn't show him up. He started gradually giving him minutes and he's clearly been coaching him behind the scenes as well, because you can see the production on the floor. So if there was a master class and how to handle someone who may, may not have been actually following the rules at the beginning of the season, but he sure is now. So kudos to, you know, Red Autry for really figuring that out. And one other point is that, uh, you know, you talk about some guys with upside. I think another guy with upside that's coming back soon is Chance Westry. And, you know, you talk about working guys into the lineup and figuring out how to use them and guys with tremendous high upside. I mean, this guy's that's former top 50 recruit and a highly athletic, highly touted wing. So if they can get Benny Williams to that level that you're talking about and then somehow work in Chance Westry where he's a huge contributing factor by the end of the season and you have, you know, a nine, 10 man rotation, all which are really good players. I think Syracuse really has something special cooking here. That's what I was going to say. If you get Westry into the mix and he's performing up to his capabilities, there are 10 guys on this roster that you feel pretty comfortable at putting in the game at any point, um, which is almost unheard of. With when, when have you ever been able to say that? Ten I mean, answer, answer under, under Syracuse, under the Jim Beheim year is never, never. It's never happened. It's great. It's great to see. So we've got one segment left. We will give our final thoughts right here on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Cuse on the Juice podcast on the Believe Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Juice on the Cues podcast. Wes Chang alongside Matt D'Agostino. Matt, uh, another great show with you. I, I want to give my closing thought here. Uh, you know, I love talking about Syracuse alumni, as you know. And uh, for my closing thought, I want to talk about former Syracuse defensive back uh, Ify Melifanwu. Huge interception in Week 16 against Minnesota to seal that win. He comes back with another interception against Dak Prescott this weekend in the end zone. Obviously, that interception got lost in all the news about the ineligible receiver flag at the end of the game. And uh, not sure what the conversations were between the ineligible receiver and the refs before that play. But setting aside that, I'm really happy for Melifanu and the success he's found on that 11 and five Lions team. You know, this is a historic team that has been terrible for so long and to see them on top of the NFC North this late into the season. It, I mean, it's something that we have rarely seen in our own lifetimes, Matt. So, and Melifanu has been a big part of that. He joined the starting lineup in week 14. He was named NFC defensive player of the week in week 16. So this is a guy that, has a third-round pick who's really worked himself into the NFL, and he's probably going to be a starter for for the long haul. So I'm really happy for him. And it's kind of few and far between where we see these Syracuse football players the last few years. You see them, you know, uh, Cisco comes to mind. Like, there are guys who are being drafted on day one or day two, but um, it's kind of few and far between where we've had impact NFL players coming from the Syracuse football program. So that is, that is good to see. I'm going to flip it back to basketball, Wes, and – Plain and simple, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I don't care uh, who is coaching Duke. I don't care if they've got four first rounders on their team or not. Duke is always, as long as Syracuse is in the ACC, will always be the litmus test to see where they are. Um, you know, Duke's still a top fifteen, top twenty team in the country. 
they've got two guys who will probably be lottery picks uh, in Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor, who just came back over the weekend and is now healthy after an ankle injury, which he missed almost the entire Georgia Tech game that they lost. So they've still got plenty of talent on the roster for sure. Um, but this is always going to be the litmus test. I don't care whether they're undefeated or they've got a few losses, whether they've got five NBA pros on their team or they've got just one or two. Um, Tuesday at Duke especially, we'll find out how good the Syracuse team is and, and we'll have a much better idea on Wednesday and moving forward just how good this Syracuse team can be. Um, but we do know it's it's fun to see uh, it's sometimes tough to swallow, but it's fun to see going in, uh, you know, thinking about where this team could be if they can pull off a win at Duke. Again, it's so important to get to that 20 win mark, but it's also important to pick up resume wins along the way. And what better resume win would it be to go down to Duke and beat Duke? It, it doesn't happen that often. I remember it was that that highest battle game. Uh, you know, back, I think it was in 2017 or 18 when, when Syracuse upset Duke at Duke. And that was a complete milestone win and something that we haven't seen in a while. So I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it on Tuesday. And again, great barometer game. I'm looking forward to it. And like you said earlier, there is a clear mark so far this season of how they've played against unranked teams and how they've played against ranked teams. And it's time to kind of blur that line a little bit and see them put up a, a pretty good fight, if not get a victory against the ranked opponent. So uh, happy new year's. It's that time of year. Um, my new year's resolution was to get more hair West. So we'll see how that turns out. I give that till about January 4th or 5th before that one goes awry. But uh, it's another hair reference. That's what we're here for on the Believe Network. For Wes Chang, I'm Matt D'Agostino. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.